All right, so I want you to look at verse 14 of Jude. It says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now, the book of Jude is basically a book just making it crystal clear that the Lord is going to deal with the judge, the people in Noah's day. You better believe he's going to judge these false prophets. And then it goes on to say that even Enoch, he prophesied of a day that was coming when the Lord was going to come with 10,000 of his saints and he was coming to execute judgment. He was coming to punish the earth because of ungodliness. And notice just how over and over in verse 15, he keeps using the word ungodly. Now, something that you and I all know, okay, we've all got this down. Okay, We all understand very clearly that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back angry, isn't he? I mean, he's coming and he is taking us out of here. Okay, He's rapturing us out. Why? Because he's going to pour his wrath out on this earth. And we, we all know that we've got this down. But what I want to teach on tonight is I want to teach on the errors of post-millennialism. Okay? The errors of post-millennialism. And I, um, now most of you probably might not be familiar with that, but we as a church are a pre-millennial church. Okay? We're pre-millennial. Now what does that mean? That just means we believe that Jesus Christ is going to return before the millennial kingdom. Because I think pretty much everybody in Christianity believes in a coming kingdom. But some people believe that, uh, in the, for example, there's the amillennial crowd. They believe that it's a spiritual kingdom that we establish. And they don't believe in a literal coming. And there's a lot of different variations in there. Uh, many of them are where the preterists are. There's a lot of preterists that are amillennial. That they don't believe in a literal uh, physical kingdom of Jesus Christ on this earth. They don't believe in that. And they believe that we're just, that it's right now, that we're a spiritual kingdom. And then you've got the post-millennialists, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. They believe that Jesus Christ is going to come after the millennium. Okay? And uh, that is just not the case. And that teaching, and, and I've listened to a lot of people who teach post-millennialism. A lot of them are Protestants. You really don't find it anywhere in the Baptist world. In the Baptist world, pretty much everybody's pre-millennial. Okay? And in the premillennial camp, you can be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. All of that is premillennial. And, uh, you know, and I don't believe in making a whole bunch of contention over pre-mid or post, but when it comes, when it comes to the tribulation, but pre or post-millennial, I think is a really big deal. I think that's really important. And people that get mixed up on these things is because there's just some, uh, things that they just don't understand about the scriptures and, even as premillennialists, if we don't understand these things, we can get some stuff really wrong when it comes to our interpretation of the scripture, and we don't want to do this. So, the de- but let me read the definition though of uh, postmillennialism. It says in Christian end times theology or eschatology, postmillennialism is an interpretation of chapter twenty of the book of Revelation, which sees Christ's second coming as occurring after the millennium a golden age in which Christian ethics prosper. The term subsumes several similar views of the end times, and it stands in contrast to premillennialism and to a lesser extent, amillennialism. So postmillennialism, it holds that Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom on earth 
through his preaching and redemptive work in the first century, and that he equips his church with the gospel, empowers her by the Spirit, and charges her with the Great Commission to disciple all nations. Postmillennialism expects that eventually, now listen to this, because this is where we disagree strongly, and I believe the Bible does. Postmillennialism expects that eventually the vast majority of people living will be saved. Increasing gospel success will gradually produce a time in history prior to Christ's return in which faith, righteousness, peace, and prosperity will prevail in the affairs of men and of nations. After an extensive era of such conditions, Jesus Christ will return visibly, bodily, and gloriously to end history with the general resurrection and the final judgment after which the eternal order follows. So, if you're a post-millennialist, you've got to be worried right now because we're not getting any more righteous in this world, are we? We're not seeing Christianity grow throughout the world. And, it's, and they're basically teaching that eventually, us Christians, we're going to win. You know, eventually, you know, we're going to take over and we're going to just, we're going to win this world to Christ. And then it's like we're going to get this world so good that Jesus Christ then is finally going to show up. So, all right, this world's now fit for my presence. And then he'll be with us. And I believe that is very wrong. And so when it comes to post-millennialism, let me just say this. You know, I am sure there's a lot of different ways that it's taught, just like there's a lot of variation amongst those who are pre-millennial. Okay, but so, you know, for, but the, uh, so for example, if postmillennialism though is true, you know, that we should probably start running for office. We should probably start trying to figure out how to take over this country and take over the world. I mean, that's what we're going to have to do if we're going to win this world to Christ. I mean, you know, those Muslims, they don't seem like they're about ready. And, you know, then if this country is as reprobate as we say, well, then they can't get saved, so we might as well just kill them all. And then, you know, that way there's room for more Christians, right? But, no, that's wrong. This is not what the Bible teaches. This is, uh, it, it's just, it's wrong on so many levels. And so, uh, if postmillennialism was true, we would probably be more likely to go, if, if we believe this, all right? Not if it was true, but if we believed it, we would probably be more likely to go from a local church gospel-centered focus to a more political or militaristic approach. I mean, that's what I would do if that was true, if we were, if that's how it was supposed to be done. But, you know, the thing is, so it's like, you know, I see all kinds of problems with even thinking that way, how that could cause your church to get its focus wrong. But at the same time, they could turn that around on us because as premillennialists, you know, we believe when, that this world's going to get worse. You know, we believe things are going to be really bad when Jesus returns. And so they could say that, you know, that's causing us to have a fatalist attitude. And you know what? Some premillennialists have fatalist attitudes. They've just given up. I'll just let it all go to hell. It's going to the Antichrist anyway. And, you know, and that's, you know, they could say that'll cause us to withdraw from politics. We'll stop trying to be an influence and we'll eventually be, you know, like some people, it's like they're cheering on the destruction of our world. You know, and it's like like that'll speed up the return of Christ. You know, and that's not right either. We don't want to be that way. But it, it, what, what I mainly want to focus on tonight, though, and there's a we could, there's a lot of stuff we could cover on this. I want to focus on the errors that make people believe that way or that mess up their interpretation of the Bible. So first off, postmillennialist or that teaching, it rejects just the clear prophecies of coming judgment. Okay, now turn over to Revelation chapter 19. 
and verse 6. Okay, Revelation 19, it's what happens here is before chapter 20, where it talks about the millennial kingdom. But look at what it says here in verse 6. It says, And I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine and clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked too much here, but you all understand that the way we get that white linen is Jesus Christ gives it to us. He puts it on us. He does that when he changes our vile body at the rapture. Because let me tell you something, we are not capable of just being that pure, white, spotless bride on our own works. We can't do that. But what we can do is we can have faith in Jesus Christ, we can get saved, and then when he returns, he changes us. He transforms us, okay? And that's what he's going to do when, when, we're, uh, when he returns, when this time comes, it will be because Jesus did it for us. We haven't done it. And so he said, he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called to the marriage of the supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he saith unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So it's not about our testimony. It's not about how good we are. It's about Jesus. And then it says, And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and that he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress, and fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Does it look like Jesus is happy when he's coming back here? I mean, he's coming back mad. He's coming back. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, and he's going to use it to smite the nations. He's coming with armies. You know why? You know why we do that kind of thing? Because things are bad. It's very clear when Jesus Christ returns that he is coming, and he's coming angry. He's coming to execute vengeance. You know why? Because we're wicked. And when Jesus comes back, we see in chapter 20, he goes and he locks Satan up for a thousand years. Now, you know what? You're never going to convince me that Satan is locked up right now. Now, 1 Peter 5 eight says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Sounds to me like Satan's loose right now. I don't, somebody show me in history where Satan got locked up. You say, well, we just haven't achieved that yet. Well, I don't think we're going to. And that either way, either way, Jesus comes back and then binds up Satan for a thousand years. Okay, nobody can make a good argument saying Satan's been bound up a thousand years. So that's just wrong on, that's wrong on so many levels. The Bible clearly states Jesus comes back after Satan does his work. It says in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Jesus Christ is coming back after Satan is deceiving the world, after Satan is doing all these miracles, after Satan implements the mark of the beast, all these things that the Bible tells us about, after Satan does all that stuff, 
He, then Jesus is going to come back. How, is a, how are we ushering in this golden age? How are we achieving this golden age when Satan has literally got the whole world taking a mark if they're going to buy or sell or anything? How, is, how are things getting better? You know, we see in 2 Thessalonians 2, it talks about a falling away that's coming, the man of sin being revealed. The Bible is just crystal clear that before Jesus comes back, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. There's no doubt about that. And premillennialists across the board, they believe that. But when he comes back, he's angry. We see that in Jude, verses 14 and 15, those first verses we read, he's coming back to execute judgment on the ungodly. So it's important that we understand that. And they miss that. They just basically post-millennialism, it just rejects just the clear teaching about the order of events. It, it rejects the clear teaching about the state of the world. When Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be bad. And a lot of these people today, a lot of people that I've heard that are kind of post, that are post-millennialists, that believe we're supposed to basically win the world, we're going to win the world before Jesus Christ comes back. These people are always flaming liberals. These people are always ecumenical. They're always compromisers. It just seems more like to me these people are about to usher in the Antichrist rather than Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, but when you, when I'm pe- seeing guys like Jeff Durbin, who you know seems to lean that direction, just as compromising as he is with the junk that he is accepting. It seems a lot closer to me like these people are trying to unite everybody so they will accept one figure. And isn't that what we see is going to happen in the Bible? And, you know, a lot of the people that have this teaching, too, are a lot of the Protestant religions. So we don't see it in the Baptist world. Baptists are not Protestant. And don't ever let anybody tell you different. But a lot of the Protestants, they have believed that way because they, you know, the, the old timers, there's just a lot they didn't understand about prophecy. And they really weren't even, they re- weren't really capable because the, um, a lot of the things the Bible prophesies were impossible a hundred years ago. You know, the whole world seeing the two witnesses, you know, implementing a mark the way the Bible talks about. You know, we all get it today, but hundreds of years ago, I can see why they missed the boat. And a lot of the, these Protestants today, they constantly go back to the reformers to get all their theology. And if you go to the reformers to get your theology, you are going to be way off when it comes to eschatology, among other things. And that's what a lot of these people are doing. But here's an interesting thing about Protestants is many of the Protestant religions, they did have an attitude that we were supposed to take over the world. You know, the Catholics aren't the only religion that is ever, or the only Christianish, if you want to call it that, religion that's tried to take over the world, you know, or to try to uh, force, you know, Christianity on people. They're not the only ones. A lot of the Protestants did that. You know, a lot of the, you know, John Calvin and Martin Luther and all those guys, you know, they believed in, you know, killing heretics. And a lot of these guys believe that kind of teaching. And there's even people today that still kind of have that same attitude that we're supposed to kill everybody that's wrong. You know, that's what they did in the Old Testament. But let me tell you something. That is a complete, I don't know, I don't even want to say misunderstanding, but just ignorance of what the Bible teaches. And an inability to, and I hate to say this, I don't want to sound like a dispensationalist, rightly divide the scriptures. But let me show you something, because here's the second thing these post-millennialists 
get wrong, they don't understand the difference between a spiritual kingdom and a physical kingdom. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. I remember reading a book years ago. Somebody gave me a book by these guys that was trying to uh, explain how horrible the American government was. And one thing that I thought was really weird in this book is while they were like condemning everything in you know, the Constitution with the United States, their solutions sounded crazy. It's like, I think these people want to like take over the country you know, they, like with military and by force. I, I don't remember who, I forgot the name of the book, but it was really weird to me. And I remember looking at that and studying that. I was like, now this just, this isn't right. This is not what uh, we are about as Christians. But look what it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So understand, this is talking about those in the Old Testament that they never received the promises, but they were persuaded of them. They, they understood they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. And truth is, what they desired, it was a different country. It was a heavenly country. And that's something that we are looking for as Christians. We are not looking for an earthly country. We are not looking to set up an earthly kingdom, are we? But did you know in the Old Testament... They were doing that, weren't they? That's what we see in the Old Testament law. Now, within that law, there are some spiritual things that we can see. But understand, those commands and those things that were given, they were earthly, weren't they? Now, they were meant to teach them that they needed a Savior. They, need, they were meant to show them that they couldn't do these things. But the Old Testament law that was given, it was for a physical kingdom. Now, turn over to Leviticus chapter 18. Now, y'all need to get a hold of this. Because I said, we're not a Protestant church, okay? We're not Protestants. We do not believe in taking over the world, okay? We're not pinky in the brain trying to, you know, plot how we can take over the world tomorrow. Uh, not like that, okay? We don't use physical force. You know, we are not building a, a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's what we are in the business of. And look what it says in Leviticus 18, verse 22. It says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. Now, we all know this passage, and we all love this passage, but why did God give this? You know why? Because any nation where sin runs rampant, it will be destroyed naturally or supernaturally. I mean, we see places like Sodom and Gomorrah that were supernaturally destroyed by God, don't we? And I don't believe we see uh, Crazen and Bethsaida, uh, Capernaum, the God that Jesus cursed, forgot all those. Uh, you know, even cities like Pompeii that most people believe, God destroyed that place. These were wicked, 
wicked places. And even when they're not supernaturally destroyed, a lot of times they're just naturally destroyed just because of diseases and wars and wickedness and famines that come because of all the wickedness. And so understand, these laws that God gave to Israel, they were necessary if they were going to survive as a people. If we are going to survive as a people in the United States, if we are going to survive as a nation, we have to legislate some type of morality. We can't let just people go killing whoever they want. We can't let people just go stealing. We can't let people just go, you know, spreading all their diseases and doing all the disgusting things that the sodomites and things do. If we do that, we will destroy ourselves as a country. We will never survive. And so whenever as a nation, when we're looking to laws, I think it's very wise for us to look at these laws in the Old Testament and say, well, what did they do back then? I think we probably should implement some of these things. Otherwise, we will be done for. We will not make it. We will not be able to survive. And so the Old Testament, uh, or so uh, turn over to John chapter 4. I think we looked at this this morning. So the Old Testament law, it was given for a physical kingdom. Y'all understand that? A physical kingdom. Now the New Testament, though, it brought in a better kingdom and a new and a better way. In John chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This is the, the Samaritan woman talking to Jesus. And you know what? That is what the Bible said. Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. Listen, y'all get this? In the Old Testament, you know what it teaches? It teaches that Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. That's what it says in the Old Testament. Everybody, everybody get that? Y'all understand that? But look what it says here. You know some things change in the New Testament? It says in verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh. That means it's not there yet. When ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we see that we don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore to worship, do we? We can worship right here. You can worship in your home. You can go wherever you want to. You can go out on the lake. You can, go, you can go out in the woods. You can go wherever you want, and you can worship. We don't have to take any annual pilgrimage anywhere. You know why? Because some things change. Some things are better. You know why? Because now we don't have an earthly kingdom anymore. Do you all understand that? We don't have a kingdom on this earth, but we do have a kingdom that's to come. We have a heavenly kingdom, but back then, they had a kingdom. They had a kingdom. They had a temple, and that temple is where they were supposed to go and where they were supposed to worship. But you know what? Because man was sinful, man was not capable of fulfilling that holy law of God. And you know what? Jesus Christ came and he paid for the sins of man. He did all the, the works of the high priest himself. And you know what? In 70 AD, God destroyed Jerusalem. God wiped that place out. God allowed the temple to be completely wiped down. There, wiped out. There was not one stone left upon another. I mean, back then, according to the historians, I mean, you couldn't even tell the temple was ever there. You couldn't tell a city was ever there on Mount Zion. God was basically erasing the memory of that. You know why? Because God was done with the physical kingdom. We are not capable of that. And let me tell you something. The Antichrist Jews have been trying to restore that kingdom for the last 2,000 years. 
and they're still working on it. They're still trying to build a temple. But let me tell you something. God's not in it. God is not for it. And the next, and I'm not interested in that kingdom. I'm not interested in a physical kingdom until Jesus Christ returns. I'm not interested in a physical kingdom until the kingly line of David is back. And guess what? Jesus Christ is that is going to be that king. I'm not interested in an earthly kingdom until we get a high priest back on this earth. And I'm not interested in the Levitical priest. I'm interested in the priest after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. But until then, you know what? We have the priesthood of the believer today, don't we? We have direct access to God. We don't have a mediator on this earth. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. This is a better way. So the Old Testament made Jerusalem the place where men ought to worship. The Old Testament enforced the worship of God. I mean, they took the tithes. But you know what? God now loves a cheerful giver. Guess what we're going to do to you if you don't tithe? Nothing. You know, we're not, you're not going to, we're not going to deny you, you know, the ability to come now and do the sacrifices. Because the truth is we don't even have any sacrifices, do Jesus did all those for us. So think some things changed. Some things are definitely different. You can say with the Ten Commandments, all right? In the Ten Commandments, we know they were on two tables of stone, okay? And let's just assume there was five on each side. On that one side, you have, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and honor thy father and thy mother. Now, those first four for sure, you realize you can't legislate those things today. And you know we're not supposed to. You know, we can't make people worship God and we're not supposed to. That's not what we've, that's not what we've been called to do. God's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. How do you do that with a gun to your back of your head? How do you do that with an angry mob ready to throw stones at you? It doesn't work. That's not what, that's not what God wants. You can't force someone to believe in Christ. And so you have, so the, the truth is though, those commands are still good. God wants us to still do those things. It's still right. There's still wrong to have any other gods before God. It's still wrong to take God's name in vain. Although it's still idolatry is still wrong, but all of those things are things that we don't have an earthly government to enforce those things. You know, it's between us and God. Everything's between us and God. So that's not how they did in the Old Testament. No, it's not how they did in the Old Testament. You had to have a priest in the Old Testament, didn't you? But now we have a priest. It's Jesus Christ. He is the mediator and a gov- and an earthly government has no business enforcing that stuff. They've never been, they've never been called to do anything. So what about that fifth commandment even? Honor thy father and thy mother. You know, what, how does the government implement that? I mean, you could always, you know, I guess some stone some kids that sass their mom and dad, you know, like some people want. But what, or, but here's the thing with that. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter six. Children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. Look at this. Which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. In Exodus twenty twelve, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So notice, this was a special commandment from God that came with a promise that no government could fulfill. Did you know the government can't make you live longer? Now, they think they can, and they're trying right now. And they're killing us, trying to help us live longer. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the government can't do that. It's God 
that does that. The, even the honor thy father and thy mother, it's God that gives the blessing. And it's God that gives a promise to those who follow that. That's something that is. It's between us and God. But those other commandments on the other side, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet. These are all things that, folks, we have to enforce if we're going to survive as a people. If we're going to make it as a society, we have to have some law and order. And those other five commandments, they're still good. We should still follow these things, but they are they are between us and God. And so in the New Testament, all the commandments of God are still good, but the first ones are not up to civil authorities to enforce. That is not up to them. And so I, don't, I do not believe it is a sin for a Christian to get involved in government. In fact, I kind of wish more would, but civil government is not the place to advance a spiritual kingdom. Boy, I would love it if we got all Christians in government. I would love it if when, you know, Capitol Hill got together, you know, they started out and they did a real prayer in Jesus' name with a real preacher. And if all those people who were there were godly, saved leaders, and as they're implementing those laws, they were going to the Bible trying to figure out exactly how God said things should be. I, I wish, I wish that's how it was. I, I think that would be wonderful. I think our country would be so much better off if that kind of thing happened. But at the end of the day, they don't have any business telling us how to worship and telling us uh, how to serve God. That is between us and God. We do not need the, this earthly organization that, that we're dependent on when it comes to our worship anymore. We are not Protestants. We are Baptists. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. And we, and we don't ever want to forget that. That is a foundational doctrine for Baptists. And so, um, you know, I said, if, if Christians want to get involved with that, man, it's a dirty, nasty, filthy, corrupt place. If you think you can go through Washington, D.C. and not have that muck and mire get all over you and make you stink as bad as they do, God bless you. I hope you can do it. But I don't know. I, I, I'm going to stay away from that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not interested in that. But if somebody wants to try, go for it. So, we need to understand, and the, the post-millennialists, they don't get that. The post-millennialists, they're always wanting to find out how we can just take over. They're, they're always the ones that are getting overly involved in politics. And folks, I'm sorry, you get too involved in politics, you're going you're, you, you're to have to compromise. They all do. I've never known a preacher that has shifted his focus from the church to politics who didn't compromise big time. I have known many independent fundamental Baptists that just got a burden for this country. I mean, they just had a desire to see revival in America, and they decided, I'm going to go and try to change things in Washington, D.C. That, that's the last place to go. Okay, It starts here. It ends in D.C. Okay? This is where it starts. It ends in D.C., and I can't tell you, it, it bothers me greatly when I see Baptist pastors resign their churches to get involved in politics. I think it's awful. I think they took a step down. I think they took a step in the wrong direction. I think they will do less good. And I think, and it happens every time. They always compromise. Because, you know, you don't get to preach the way we do. You don't get to talk about Leviticus 18 and then get invited, you know, and be involved in politics. It just doesn't happen. You know, they don't want, you know, you think Donald Trump wants to get his picture taken with me when he's getting reelected? You know, that's the last, that's the last thing he's going to want to do. He, he's, you know, he, he, and so, um, 
but this attitude that says we've got to get involved and we've got to take over, it comes from a lot of these people have that attitude because they think the key to us ushering in Jesus Christ is we've got to advance Christianity in the world and they want to do it through government. That is not what God wanted. It is not government's place to advance Christianity. It is the church's place to advance Christianity. It is our job, and we want to do that all we can. And you know what? If one of y'all ever get inspired one day and you decide you're going to go and you're going to run for office and get involved in politics, man, that's great. I hope you don't corrupt it. But at the end of the day, remember, this is where Christianity is advanced. You don't go there to force, you know, to make laws, you know, forcing people to be Christians. You can't do it. It doesn't work. And that's what Constantine tried to do. And we're, uh, we're not interested in that. And I, and I believe this error, this wrong thinking, not understanding the difference between a spiritual kingdom and a physical kingdom, it causes a lot of good people to get away from what's really important, and that's advancing the spiritual kingdom, getting the gospel to as many people, getting as many people saved as possible, and they end up wasting all their time on an earthly kingdom, on the United States, thinking we're going to get revival that way. That is not the way it works. We've got all these people right now praying for Trump to get saved or praying for our leaders to get saved. And you know what? That's fine. I'll pray for Trump to get saved. I'll pray for our leaders to get saved. But you know why we pray for kings and those that are in authority? Not so they can advance the kingdom, so we can live a quiet and peaceable life. And I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to go to that scripture here in a little bit. But that's one of the real reasons I pray for him. And I remember back when Ted Cruz was running, you know, all the Baptists like, man, we just got to get Ted Cruz if we can have somebody like that. And I remember saying that he is the last guy that we want there because, you know, he talks about the Christianity a little too much. And we don't want him, we don't want our American president to be the face of Christianity in our country. That's not what we want. Because one, I thought he was a poor representation of Christianity. But two, you know, you, I mean, he, he had already compromised as far as I was concerned. And what all that would have happened is it would have just made people think we're going after Christianity and attacking Christianity. At least with Trump, people don't think of him as a Christian. And so I, I was actually glad when it was Trump over Ted Cruz. Because I thought, I don't want to fight this battle against, you know, with, against the world, between the world and Christianity where Ted Cruz is the leader. You know, that's just, that would not be good. That's not what we wanted. So we got to understand the difference. I'm interested in advancing that spiritual kingdom. And I challenge you, don't, don't do it. But if you were to go out with a gun and try to get people saved, you won't get, I promise you won't get anybody saved. Okay? It's just not going to work. It, it, it never has and never will. So another thing the postmillennialists don't understand, they said they don't understand our current role on earth today. And when I say our role, I'm talking about as a church. I'm talking as an assembly of believers they don't understand our role on earth today. Now, turn over to Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. Now, this is really important because, again, you're not going to take over. We're not going to usher in this golden age that they're, they're talking about. We're not going to win the world to Christianity, you know, without, you know, great physical strength. It's just not going to happen. Look what it says in Romans 12, 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 
We're supposed, you know, we're supposed to make an effort to be at peace with people. We're try, you know, we're supposed to try to not just be at war and be fighting. Sometimes you have to fight. Okay. And usually our fights are spiritual fights, but we especially, we want, you know, we don't want to be fighting a physical battle. I'm glad that we don't have to have snipers standing around, you know, on top of our building trying to hold off the cops so we can have church. I just, I think that'd be a huge distraction. I think that would just kill the reputation of our church. And I don't think anybody would talk to us when we knock on their door going soul winning. I just, I don't know. I think, I think that would be really bad. But it says, dear beloved, avenge, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So notice we're not supposed to be getting vengeance with people. But you know what? If a nation is attacked, everyone would agree they have a right to fight back. But with the church, we've been commanded not to fight back. And we're supposed to let God fight those battles for us. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 2.1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So our goal and hope is that the king would be saved because we want peace and not war. We're not looking, we're not looking to fight a physical battle. And I like this passage too because it's telling us to pray for kings. We've got this attitude today that if somebody's in politics, it's just default, automatic reprobation. But right here, it's saying, hey, we need to be praying for those that are in authority. Why? Because we want them to be saved. And why do we want them to be saved? You know, you know why I would love to see our political leaders get saved? Same reason as Paul. So they will leave us alone. Not so they can advance Christianity. Oh man, if we can if we can just get Trump saved, you know, if Mike Pence, you know, that great evangelical Christian, if he could get Trump saved, man, can you imagine how many people would get saved in this country? Why? Why? What's Trump going to do to get people saved? Is he going to pass legislation? Is he going to sign an executive order? You know, I mean, what, what's 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 the president? But you know, the only thing the president can do to help get people saved is maybe in one of his speeches he could get up and preach the gospel. You know, that would do it. But let me tell you, there's nothing he could do with his pen. There's nothing he could do with his power and his authority as a president that would get anybody saved. And that's not, that's not his job. That's not what he should be trying to do. So I want the kings to get saved. I want the leaders to get saved. So the leaves alone. Do I want J.B. Pritzker to get saved? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough one. But I, I, you know what? I want him to leave us alone. It'd be worth it. All right, it'd be worth it. All right, I, yeah, if, if he'll leave us alone, I hope he gets saved. But I, you know, it, I've already decided he's reprobate in my mind. <laughs> but that's why we want him. Not no, because man, just just think about how many people get saved if J.B. Pritzker gets saved. No, I just I want him to get saved so he'll leave us alone. That that's what I want. That's my desire. So the only because the again we don't need these people to help. The only mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ. The government is not. The church is not. A mediator. Okay? We are, we're, not, we're not, I'm not a mediator. As a practice, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And so the church isn't a mediator, but we have been commanded not to forsake the assembly. 
Okay, as believers, we are supposed to still assemble. You know, we're supposed to come together. We, you know, we preach the word. We exhort each other. We do all the things that we do every week. These are things that we need to do until Jesus Christ comes. But at the end of the day, so these are these are spiritual things that we're doing, and you know, that's our job. That's our role, and it's our desire that our political leaders will just leave us alone. That, that's a desire. Nowhere do we see any prayers in the Bible for the political leaders to get saved so they can force everybody else to get saved, so they can start killing all the infidels and killing all the heretics. That's not what we see. We want them to leave us alone. Nowhere in the Bible do we see Christianity supposed to be advanced you know, with that iron fist. We, we do it. It's a spiritual thing. And so we're not supposed to fight back. As Christians, as a church, we are not supposed to fight back. And, you know, there are times to fight back against tyrants and evil men, but we do that in the name of, of a physical nation, not a spiritual nation. Okay? Listen, there may come a day where there needs to be, you know, Revolutionary War Part 2 in this country. And if that happens, I'm not saying I would never join it, but if I did join it, it would be in the name of, you know, whether we decide to keep the United States of America or come up with a new name. But, you know, I would never do it in the name of Liberty Baptist Church. I would never do it in the name of Christianity. I would do it in the name of a physical nation because there is, there's a difference. And, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, if I'm going to be, you know, because I am a part of a physical nation, that it is the United States. I'm very thankful for that. I mean, if I could think of another country I'd rather live in, I'd try to figure out how to get in that country. But you know what? There's no other place that I want to go. I think that I think this is the best place on earth right now, even though it's still got a lot of problems. But but either way, I'm not interested in advancing anything physical. It's spiritual. That's that's the focus because it, at the end of the day, this this kingdom, this country is going to be destroyed. One of these days. Y'all, now, I'm not going to help it get destroyed. I'm not going to be like the Edomites and cheer on and look on the destruction of America with joy. I'm not going to have that attitude, but I'm not interested in advancing that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10:3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Okay, he's talking to a church here. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, I want somebody to tell me, how do we put infidels to death without a carnal weapon? Can somebody tell me how that's done? How do we put infidels to death without a carnal weapon? Through prayer. We just pray them to death. Well, when you figure out how to do that, let me know. i got a few people I'd like to take care of, all right? But I haven't figured out how to do that yet. So you know what? I think we're not supposed to do that. I think we're not supposed to push that. I think we're supposed to be advancing. We're supposed to be fighting spiritual battles. We're supposed to be using the sword of the spirit. We're supposed to be preaching the word of God. We're supposed to have the shield of faith. We're supposed to have our feet shot at the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're supposed to focus on spiritual things. Okay, That's what our focus is. That's what our role is as Christians. That's what we are trying to advance. Now listen, if you if there if you get involved with politics and you know a politician that's actually working on laws and making laws and legislation, hey, why don't you send him an email about some Old Testament scriptures that we really like, and and just to try to influence them? 
a little bit. But at the end of the day, you all understand it's not the church's place to implement public policy. We should try to influence it. You know, we should try, you know, we should try to do that the best we can. But at the end of the day, so that's not what we're advancing because our weapons are not carnal. They are spiritual. So we must always remember we are Christians first. Okay. And as a church, that's all we are. Do you understand that? We are, we are just a church. We are a fundamental Baptist church. And we, we are, we say that just to identify what we believe. But we are an independent church. That's all we ever are. We are not an American Baptist church. We are an independent fundamental Baptist church. But now me as an individual, I'm a Christian and I'm an American. But you know what? I will always be a Christian first, American second. I'll, I'll always be that way. And it's okay for you to enjoy the privileges of being American as long as it doesn't cause you to violate your duties as a Christian. Okay? Don't ever let it do that. It's okay to take advantage of the part that you are allowed to play when it comes to deciding how things go. It's okay for you if you want to vote, if you're, if you feel like there's something on the ballot that um, allows you to vote your, you know, Christian beliefs, by all means do that. that that's how I vote. I, if I see something that promotes my religious beliefs on the ballot, I'm voting for that because I'm allowed to do that. Okay, our, That's how our nation is set up. That's how our governments run. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take advantage of that. But at the end of the day, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian first, okay, American I'm an American after I'm a McMurtry. You know, you know and what does that, what does that all mean? Okay. There's a lot of stuff that's very American, but it's just not very McMurtry. Okay. You know, I mean, and you know, there's a lot of food stuff that's American. It's not me, you know, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think you know what I mean on that. But unfortunately, a lot of these Protestant churches, they have just, they've gotten way off on a lot of things. And and even Baptists are buying into this. When I see Baptist preachers quitting their churches to get involved in politics, I just want to vomit. Every time. I think you guys are taking such a step down. I'm not saying no Christian can't get involved in some of those things. Again, I'd like it if we had some Christians that were involved in some of these things. But at the end of the day, you're not you're not accomplishing more by doing less in the church. You're not accomplishing more by doing less for the cause of Christ. And so post-millennialism, it's causing people to compromise in the word of God because they think we're supposed to take over this world. But the truth is, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It is on our way. And it is our job to help as many people as we can escape that judgment. They're, the people that we go out to, the people we are out talking to today, these are people that judgment is coming for them. It's on its way. It's not stopping. Folks, we are not going to just turn this world around and it's just going to become this, you know, Christian utopia. It's not going to happen. That's not what the Bible prophesies. But you know what we are going to do? We're going to go out there and see if we can't get as many people to be spared from that wrath to come by getting them to accept that free gift of salvation. And so our world's not going to repent. If you read the book of Revelation, when Jesus is pouring his wrath out on this world, what does it constantly say? Neither did they repent. They keep saying they didn't repent. A lot of times they think, man, I just, you know, I wish God would just rain down fire and brimstone on one more city. Why? It didn't get anybody saved last time. Think about it. 
Even though Lot and his family knew that judgment was coming, they still didn't want to leave the city. And yet, there's, if God's done it before, it's not changing people's mind, and it's not going to change people's minds in the future. These are not how things are done. People cannot be forced into doing something that is spiritual. It is our job to go out with the Word of God and with the power of the Holy Spirit and try to persuade as many people as we can to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not so we will take over this world. Not so we will start electing more Republicans in office. We want to get as many people saved as we can so less people will be will suffer the wrath of God. That's what we are all about. And I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to that, you know, coming physical kingdom. I'm looking forward to being under a theocracy again. But let me tell you, that last theocracy stunk. It did. I mean, think about it. Israel it had it, it had the perfect law of God. You know, we like to talk about our Constitution, but, you know, it's not perfect. It's got flaws, you know, and, but yet they had the perfect law of God, and look at how that turned out for them. They were, you know why? Because they had a heart problem. You know, in that law, they had a law for circumcision. And, you know, they followed that law for the most part, but you know what? God, later on, he tells them, you know what? I want the circumcision of the heart. You know why? Because God has always been looking for a people that would worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, that's why he told that Samaritan woman, hey, the time is coming. And then later he said, the time is coming and now is. There were already people, there were people in the Old Testament that worshiped God in spirit and in truth, as well as doing things in the flesh. And it turns out those who got saved, it were those who were doing it from the heart. It was those who were of faith. But understand, that physical stuff, that's gone. Folks, that went away when Jesus Christ, uh, you know, after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those things went away, and because some people couldn't let go of it, God made sure everybody knew he was good and done with that way when he had Jerusalem completely wiped out and destroyed. And you know what? It's not time to set up another kingdom like that until, because understand too, all these people that want to go back to the old, this, this is, you know, the Old Testament law, and they act, they act like and they think they're following the Old Testament law when it comes to, you know, government and everything. They need to understand that in this Old Testament, we see what's prophesied and what's supposed to come, what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have a king from the line of David. We're supposed to have a priesthood. Okay, we're supposed to have that kind of thing, but all, understand those things are all fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So, you know, if we find somebody today who can prove somehow, he, you know, they go to David's tomb and they check his DNA and they check some Jew's DNA today and find out he's a direct descendant of David, we're not going to make him king. Jesus is the king that we're waiting for. You know, if they find somebody that can prove, you know, one of the Kohens or Kohans, they're all supposed to be the, you know, the purest form of Jew you can find that are uh, in, of the, the tribe of Levi. If one of them comes along, all right, I'm the, I'm the new high priest. No. Okay. I'm waiting for a kingdom. I'm waiting for that theocracy, but we got to have the right people in place. And you know who that people is? It's Jesus Christ. And as soon as he comes back, I will be on board with that so fast. And this one will work because we will have a perfect king. We'll have a perfect high priest. And you know what? He will have changed us at that time. We'll have a glorified body. And it's going to be a wonderful time when that comes. And in the meantime, you know what? 
I want a world, I want a country where we're just free. I want a country where we're allowed to do what we feel the Word of God is telling us to do so we can actually worship Him in spirit. You know, I'm sorry, I don't cooperate well to guns in my back. I just, you know, you start threatening me with the law and things like that, I just get stubborn. I'd probably wear a mask more if they weren't trying to push it so hard. You know, I'd probably, I, you know, I'd probably do a lot of things, you know, and, that, and that's just the, the stubbornness in me, I guess. But let me, you know, God wants us doing these things in spirit. And I'm telling you, man, I, said, I, I don't know why I'll listen to some of these post-millennials or these Protestants sometimes talk about Bible prophecy. And I listen to stuff, listen to them try to justify some of the things that, you know, Calvin and Luther and these guys did just trying to, you know, just killing other people, I, th- I think that's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just like it's, they, don't, they don't understand these things. They don't understand what the New Testament is. And it's causing people to just get some really goofy ideas. It, some really goofy ideas. And I just thank God most of the nut jobs aren't in political office. Otherwise, we'd probably be in really big trouble. <laughs> and, uh, that, and that's a blessing. I'm thankful a lot of the people, too, that believe like this also don't believe in voting. Like that's a good blessing too, because uh, yeah, we don't need you influencing anything around here because you're you're you still got a lot to learn about the scriptures, and so I hope this was a help. Listen, folks, we are premillennialist. Jesus is coming back first. This postmillennial stuff, it's it's based on just bad bad theology, misunderstanding of the scripture. Don't fall for it. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word, dear God. I pray you help us to. Uh, learn from this and lord help us to stay focused lord we're right now we're just being bombarded with politics and talking about the importance of just voting in the right person and lord i'm not saying those things don't matter at all but lord help us to just stay focused on what is so much more important and that is just uh spreading the gospel advancing the spiritual kingdom i pray to help us to understand these things i just get caught up in weird doctrines and weird teachings that just cause confusion that don't make